coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you by our great friends at MyBookie. It is championship weekend in the world of college football, and bowl season is just around the corner. So make sure, if you haven't already this season, sign up for a brand new account at mybookie.ag. When you do so, use our promo code UGA, and you'll get a 50% bonus on top of your first deposit. Feeling confident about the dog's chances this weekend? Why not put your money where your mouth is and win some cash on the dogs this weekend at my bookie. But all right, guys, I am your host, Tyler, and I am back once again today with our championship week mailbag edition of the show. As you all well know, it is another matchup between the two titans of the SEC in Atlanta as our Georgia Bulldogs are set to square off with the Alabama Crimson Tide once again for the SEC Championship game. And let's be real, no need to run and hide from it. Probably a spot in the college football playoff. So with a game of that magnitude, as you might imagine, the questions came flooding in this week, and we are going to try to get to as many of them as I possibly can, which means that we need to get right to it. And off the top, our question of the week comes from all CFB who ask, what will be the number one reason Georgia wins this football game? And he says in parentheses, I'm nervous. Yes, I share that feeling. I'm confident that we are the better team, but I'm always nervous. It's just kind of how I roll. If I wasn't nervous, I feel like that would mean something terrible was about to happen. So I'm okay being nervous. That's just how it works for me. And also, guys, by the way, if you are not following All CFB on Instagram, please make sure you do so. It's a great follow. Keep you up to date with all things college football. Obviously, you're you're tuned in to what's going on with Georgia. But with All CFB, they keep you up to date with everything that's going on around the entire world of college football. But let's get to this question. I think this is a great question to start with today. What will be the number one reason Georgia wins this football game. Of course, I'm going to go into all this in great detail on our official preview episode, so definitely make sure to tune back in tomorrow to listen to that, to check that out, because I'll have a lot more in-depth, detailed thoughts for you there. It's just hard to get into all those on the mailbag episode, because then we wouldn't have time for all the other questions that we have that don't necessarily relate exactly to that question. But I will give you some quick thoughts here. The one biggest reason why I think that we'll win this football game is superior quarterback play. Yes, I know how talented, how athletic Jalen Milrow is. I know how gifted the guy is. I know how dangerous he can be. I fully recognize that. The dude is an incredibly talented football player. He's a freaking thoroughbred running around out there on the field. If this was a combine setting and we were lining Carson Beck and Jalen Miller up and we were doing 40-yard dashes and we were doing vertical jumps and we were doing long jumps and all those things... Well, yeah, Jalen Milrow would be the superior quarterback in that setting, but that's not what's going to happen on Saturday. We are playing a football game on a 100-yard field with defenders out there that these guys are going to have to contend with. And playing the quarterback position, there is zero doubt in my mind that Carson Beck is the superior quarterback doing things that quarterbacks have to do. 
diagnosing coverages pre-snap, being able to read what they're doing post-snap, going through progressions, manipulating defenses with his eyes, having answers for whatever the defense throws at him, understanding leverage, understanding how to throw receivers open, making those split-second decisions, and throwing the ball with accuracy all over the field, throwing all the routes. And every single one of those components of playing the quarterback position, Carson Beck is a superior player. He's shown it all season long. I trust him more than I would trust Jalen Milrow if I was an Alabama fan. Now, I will grant Milrow this. He does possess a greater ability than Carson Beck to make the wow play, the spectacular play, whether that's with his legs or the vertical shot down the field with his rocket cannon arm, scrambling around, doing all things that he can do athletically. He can make the wow play. But how often can you count on those? In a game like this, when you are playing, when there's two really good defenses, you're playing one of these really, really good defenses, one of the top 10 defenses in the country, you're going to have to be efficient. Can you hit a big play here or there? Yeah, I'm, that's, I'm sure you can. Obviously, of course you can. But we are one of the better teams in the country in limiting our opponents in those big play scenarios. We don't give up a lot of big plays. Alabama doesn't either, but they give it more big plays than we do. So in a game with two good defenses, with two incredibly talented rosters, give me the quarterback who is more efficient on a down-to-down basis, who I can trust more to engineer long, sustained drives on a more consistent basis. Can Milrow put together a drive like that? Yes, he can, but he doesn't do it as well. It's far more likely on a longer drive like that that he's going to make a mistake, that he's going to make an inaccurate throw, make a poor decision. Or, I don't know, throw the football after he's five yards past the line of scrimmage. I think we have the better quarterback in this game, guys. Not the flashier quarterback. Not the more physically gifted quarterback. But the guy who does a better job of playing the quarterback position. And all that encompasses. And given my opinion that the quarterback position is the single most important position in any game, especially a big game like this. It can be the decisive factor. It often is the decisive factor. Give me that as the one biggest reason why Georgia will win this football game. If, of course, we do indeed win this football game. So there you go. That was our question of the week. Now, these next two questions kind of go hand in hand, and they were strong contenders for question of the week. In fact, they were going to be the the co-questions of the week until I saw that question from all CFB. So great questions in their own right. They're all great questions, but these are this is another big picture question. So Billy asked, do we make the playoffs regardless of the result in the SEC championship? Not only is this a fantastic question, it is an incredibly important question, obviously. Now, Billy, I'm answering this question right now without having seen the latest college ball playoff rankings. I'm recording this right now. It's 5.16 on Tuesday afternoon. The rankings come out at 7 o'clock tonight, so I have not seen them yet. But I do anticipate that we will still hold the number one position if I had to guess right now. I don't know if that's a done deal, but that would be my projection right now. So saying that stands, I get where you're coming from. It is kind of insane, not kind of insane. It is totally insane to sit here and think that the team that the Coswell Playoff Committee thinks is the best team in the country a few days before championship weekend commences would suddenly no longer be one of the four best teams in the country if we lost to Alabama on Saturday. That seems to defy logic to me. If we lose to Alabama, that all of a sudden means that we aren't better than Florida State, especially Florida State without Jordan Travis. If we lose to Alabama, that all of a sudden means that we aren't better than Washington or Oregon. 
That is frankly comical to me, but I am telling you right now, that is exactly how it will go down. If we do not win this football game and both Texas and Florida State win on Saturday in their respective conference championship games, I think it is exceedingly unlikely that we will get into the college football playoff. Not impossible necessarily, but highly, highly unlikely. The only caveat I would add to that is if in tonight's rankings, Texas and Alabama are still sitting at number seven and number eight. If Ohio State is still ahead of Texas, I think there's maybe an ever so small world in which a close loss to Alabama would still keep us ahead of Texas. But then you have to go to Alabama. Like, are they really going to keep Alabama out of the playoff if they beat us head-to-head, even though there's a pretty big gap between where those two teams will be ranked right now if they're still at number eight and if we still are at number one? That's a huge gap to climb, but I think in the committee's mind, that head-to-head will weigh too heavily. Now, it is true that there's no team yet in the college ball playoff era that has gotten into the college ball playoff when they were ranked number seven or eight in the week before conference championship week. So I guess that does give us an ever so slight glimmer of hope if Texas and Alabama do indeed stay at seven and eight in these particular rankings. But I still think it would be highly unlikely for us to get in. And I base that off recent history, what I've seen in the past. And guys, I've seen it before. Look, we've gone into, I know we weren't number one, but we've gone into championship weekend inside the top four two different times and got left out because we lost to two awesome football teams. 2018, we went in the top four. We lost to Alabama. What happened? Oklahoma jumped us. Why? Why did Oklahoma jump us? Because Oklahoma won the Big 12 championship. We were number three in the college football playoff rankings going into that weekend, going into that game against Alabama in 2018. We lost a very close game, a game that we led the vast majority of that game. But we lost a close one. It didn't matter that it was a close one. Because you know what? Oklahoma won their conference championship. They had the good fortune. Instead of having to play the number 14 in the country, like we did in Alabama, they got to play the number 14 team in the country in Texas. And they won that game 39-27. And they jumped us and promptly got beaten down once they got into semifinals. And then the same thing, although I would say less egregious, but it was the same concept happened the following year in 2019. We were number four going into championship weekend. Who do we play? Oh yeah, LSU, one of the best teams in college football history. And yeah, we lost that football game, but we got left out when Oklahoma was able to jump us because they beat Baylor in the Big 12 championship game. We have in the past gotten punished multiple times for playing in the SEC and having to play a better team, a more quality team, a higher ranked team. Well, other programs have benefited from playing in weaker conferences and having weaker opponents in their conference title game. But here's the problem. The committee, for whatever reason, puts this premium on winning a conference championship despite the clear, undebatable fact that all conferences are not created equal. How cool would it be to be Michigan right now, guys? You get to play freaking Iowa in your conference championship game. I mean, they are automatically in the college football playoff. There's no way they're losing to Iowa. What if they had to play Ohio State again, right? What if they had to do that? Is it as as much of a done deal? Is it as clear of a picture for Michigan? No, they would have a tough matchup on their hands. But I have absolutely zero faith in the college football playoff committee when it comes to this situation because I've seen it in the past. If we lose, the past is prologue. I think the most likely scenario is that we are going to drop from one to five, maybe even one to six if we lose to Alabama and maybe they'll jump ahead of us. And if everyone else, all the other favorites win on Saturday, it's going to be Michigan one, 
probably Florida State too, unless they they knock them for not having Jordan Travis. Well, that remains to be seen. That's that's certainly interesting to watch how they deal with Florida State tonight. But probably Florida State two, Oregon three, Texas four, and we'll be out. And then even if Texas loses, let's say that Texas or Florida State loses, right? So that means yeah, those three teams in you have. Oregon, Michigan, and let's say if it's Florida State, because I think they're probably the most likely one to lose without Jordan Travis, so it'll be Michigan, Oregon, and Texas, and there's that fourth spot, right? Well, is the committee going to put us in over Alabama when we just lost to them on a neutral site? I don't think that they will. Basically, every objective measure on paper right now tells you that we are clearly the better football team, but when you actually play these games, we might not have our best game, right? We might play poorly, might turn the ball over here, there, and happen to lose the game, and all of a sudden, Alabama jumps us. So if we lose to Alabama, I think the only path for us to get in is if both Texas and Florida State lose in their conference championship games on Saturday. With the possible caveat that if Texas and Bama are at 7-8 and eight again in tonight's ranking, then maybe that does give us a little bit more of a window to still find a way to sneak in with a potential loss to Bama. But I still think a lot of it comes down to what happens in those other conference championship games. I think there's a good chance Florida State could lose to Louisville, but I don't have much belief in Oklahoma State pulling off what I think would be a massive upset against Texas. Oklahoma State runs the football really, really well, but Texas happens to be one of the best rush defenses in the country. Their defensive front is elite. It's very, very good. It's just a really bad matchup for Oklahoma State, and I just don't think they're going to win that football game. Is it possible? Yeah, I mean, it's college football. Anything can happen, but it's hard for me to imagine that both of those things would happen. Now, if they do, then yeah, we'd still sneak in as the four seed, but highly unlikely. Now, what I honestly think would be the really interesting conversation is Oregon. Would Oregon deserve to be in over Georgia because they have a win over Washington? They avenged their loss against Washington. I know that's their one loss, but is a loss to Washington better than a loss to Alabama? I don't really think so. And I think, I know that we have a better resume in terms of wins. I mean, we have two top 12 wins right now, potentially two top 10 wins when those rankings come out tonight, but at least two top 12 wins. Oregon would have the win over Washington, which is a big win. But then what's their next best win? Oregon State? So I think that would be the really interesting conversation. Would Oregon deserve to be in over us when coming into the weekend, the committee saw us as the best team and Oregon as the sixth best team. And all of a sudden, because of one weekend's results, maybe if we have a close loss to Bama and Oregon beats Washington, that all of a sudden makes up for that gap. And now the committee's convinced that Oregon is better than Georgia. That doesn't make sense to me, right? It doesn't make sense. But here's the problem. They say we're trying to pick the four best teams. They don't mean it. They're not trying to pick the four best teams. They work in the most deserving, far more than best. They say that we use the eye test and resumes, right? It's a combination of both things. They lean far more heavily on the resume than they do the eye test. And what their brain actually tells them is the better team. And the reason they do that is because it's easier to defend that's all. They can point to this win and say, oh, well, Oregon won their conference championship. Oh, they beat number four, Washington. It's easier to defend than just saying, well, we think Georgia is better. And that's truly what it comes down to. It's as simple as that. So no, unfortunately, to answer your question, Billy, I do not think that we are in if we lose the SEC championship game. It's not the same scenario as last year. There's too many teams that are undefeated or right there with a chance to get in. I don't think that it's going to happen. So the next question also deals with that. Sam asks, 
This doesn't have a ton to do with Georgia, but do you think it's actually possible the SEC gets left out entirely if we lose to Bama on Saturday with the way the rankings are right now? Yes, yeah, Sam. Absolutely. 100%. If Alabama beats us, barring an upset in the ACC or Big 12 title games, the SEC is going to get left out. Or I guess I should say, I feel like there's a very strong chance the SEC will get left out, depending again on where Texas and Alabama are ranked tonight. They are not going to put Alabama in over Texas because of the head-to-head. They're not going to do it. Now, you can sit here and argue if you're a Bama fan and say, well, our loss is better than Texas's loss. Texas lost to Oklahoma. We lost to Texas. That's true. But I just have a really hard time believing the committee is going to overlook the head-to-head result if it comes down to Bama and Texas, especially considering Texas went into Tuscaloosa and won that football game. Now, I know the Bama fans would also argue, well, that was early in the season. We are a different football team. Absolutely. I agree with that. You are a different football team. But the committee's not going to look at it like that. That's one of the reasons I think Teams should leave room late in their schedules to play these big non-conference games later in the year. I know you risk having some players out with injury. If, if you do that, you certainly run that risk. But you can have guys out early in the season with injuries from fall camp. But if you play them later in the season, you're more likely to play them at your best, right? Like you, you've now figured out who you are as a team, your identity. Hopefully you're peaking at the right time. But that's not how teams do it. That's not what Alabama has done. And they played Texas the wrong time. They were still trying to figure things out. And they lost that football game. And I just don't think the committee's going to overlook it. So if Alabama beats us and all the other favorites win, I think it's, again, Michigan, Oregon, Texas, Florida State in some order. Maybe, maybe the committee would put Bama in over Florida State because there's no Jordan Travis. Maybe they take that injury into consideration. But that's another thing. I have a really hard time believing they were leaving undefeated Florida State out of the college playoff. Jordan Travis or not, I just don't think they would do that. I need to see that before I believe that. So I think it's going to be tough for Alabama. The question really becomes, the big question is, how much weight would a victory over the number one team in the CFP rankings carry? How much weight would that carry? Would that be enough to vault Alabama two spots over Oregon right now with Oregon beating the number four team, at least who I think is going to be number four in these rankings, in Washington? I think Oregon would be the team that Alabama would probably have the best chance of jumping, but I still just don't know if the committee would do that. Again, just depends on how much weight being the number one team actually carries when Oregon's going to beat the number four team. So it's going to be very interesting to see. Hopefully we don't have to see. We don't have to find out the what if when it comes to Alabama getting in because hopefully we will beat them. Now for us, we're in a different situation than Bama is going into this game. For us, if we win, we are in. But for Bama, I think they need help. It's not win and in for Bama. It's win and in for Georgia. It's not win and in for Bama. That They need some help. But all right, guys, with that, let's take our first break. And I want to remind you again about our great friends at MyBookie. There are not a ton of college ball games to bet on this weekend, but there are some big games. And now you've had the entire season to take in all these games, watch all these teams. Now is the time to cash in on what you know, cash in on that knowledge. And you have so many options to do that at my bookie. They've got great parlay options for you guys. They've got a cash out early option, tons of live betting, cash pools, And if you're not sure who's going to win this weekend in the college football world, 
hey, you still have the NFL, the NBA is going strong right now, college basketball is kicking into high gear. There are so many options for you guys to bet on and make some money, put some money in your wallets for this holiday season. And it's so easy to get started, guys. My bookie, they one of the great things about my bookie is they make it so easy for you to get started, deposit money, withdraw your money. Just go to mybookie.ag, use the promo code UGA, and you're going to get a 50% bonus on your first deposit. I mean, it's easy, guys. It takes you about 60 seconds, and boom, you'll be ready to go bet and win some cash. So do it today at mybookie.ag and bet anything, anytime, anywhere, only with mybookie. All right, guys, let's keep this train rolling. Our next question comes from Ashton. And this was a very popular question. Ashton just happened to be the first one that I saw. So if you sent in a very similar question, I did not use your specific question. Use your name. I apologize. I just try to go over the first name when it's kind of an overlap question. Ashton was the first one. And this is something that we did touch on some in the recap episode, but let's dive into a little bit more here. Ashton asked, after the defensive performance against Georgia Tech, how concerned are you about Alabama's ability to run the ball on us? Yeah, this is a really important question and, again, a very popular question. I am not as concerned as I think the average Georgia fan is. And it kind of goes back to what I was saying on the recap episode. I see a lot of similarities to what happened with the Auburn game in terms of how they were able to run the football on us, how Tech was able to attack us in the run game, and also the reality that the team that we're going to be playing next doesn't really do a lot of the same things. Tech did a lot of triple option-esque things to us that they had the ability to do because they have a quarterback that is a capable and willing runner that they use on designed runs, liberally. And when you have personnel like that, when you have a quarterback that's willing and able to do that, and you have a great offensive coordinator like they do in Buster Faulkner who can scheme it up really well, and you can put the defense in conflict on a consistent basis, you're going to run the football on teams. I don't care how good your rush defense is. Think about Georgia Tech back when they ran the triple option, right, guys? doesn't matter who they were playing, how good the rush defense was. All that went out the window. All the things that you did to get you to that point all season long to say you're one of the top 10 rush defense in the country, it went out the window when you played Georgia Tech under Paul Johnson because you were defending, yeah, it was a run game, but you were defending a very different type of run game. Nothing that you did to get to that point really applied to defending that run game. And you can say a lot of the same things to a lesser degree, but a lot of the same things about defending the way that Georgia Tech attacks you like the triple option-esque principles from the shotgun. And I know people look at Alabama and say, wow, okay, they've got Jalen Milrow, who's a better athlete, a more dynamic runner than Haynes King is. So if Haynes King was able to do those things and Georgia Tech was able to do those types of things on the ground with Haynes King, why can't Alabama do even greater things on the ground against us? I get that line of thinking. I really do. But the reason I am not worrying about it as much as I think some Georgia fans are is because that's not what Alabama does. That's not how their run game is structured. Milrow is far more of a scrambler than he is a designed QB run guy. Now, they will use him on some designed QB runs, and they certainly have done more so late in the season, and they kind of have leaned in more to what his skill set is, but they still don't really use him in the designed QB run game anywhere near the way that Georgia Tech uses Haynes King. It's not an option-based offense. Like They have what looks like to be some zone reads at times, but I have told you earlier in the week, I don't think he's actually reading anybody. In fact, I'm fairly certain he's not. There's no way he is. As if he is, then he's the worst reader of the zone read in the history of quarterbacks. I think they are making those calls. Either it's a handoff or it's a pull. Now, as a defender, you still kind of have to obviously account for the quarterback in, in the run game, so that gives them a numbers advantage. So it does help them in that regard. 
but they don't put the defense in conflict and option off defenders the way that Tech was doing. I mean, Tech was running like some midline stuff, guys. I do, however, think they will attack the edges. I'm fairly confident they will do that. I think they'd be foolish not to, and that has given us issues consistently throughout the season and not just a Tech thing, but they're just not going to do it with the option-based stuff that, that Tech did against us because that's just not in their offense. It's not their offense right now. So no, I'm I'm not going to say I'm not worried about them being able to run the football at all because they do run the ball really well. They have two really good backs and Roy Dell Williams and, and Jace McClellan. And, and yes, again, Miller is a really good threat to run the football. So they have talent and they have a good offensive line. So I do have concerns about them running the football, but I'm not concerned they're going to be able to do it the way that Tech did it. And to be quite honest, I think the way that they run the football aligns far more with what we are typically very well equipped to stop. Not as well this year, of course, because we don't have the the stud interior defensive lineman that we've had in years past, but still, relative to the rest of the country, we do a much better job of stopping that style of run game than we do the style of run game that Tech and Auburn used against us. But that does bring us to our next question. It's a very good question. It's related to the question that I just went through from Ashton. Mike asks, what stops a team from adding wrinkles like how Tech attacked us when they know it works? This is a fantastic question, a very fair question. So what I just told you guys was that I'm not that worried about Alabama being able to do the things that Tech was able to do to us because that's just not in their offense. That's not what they do from an offensive standpoint. That's not how they run the football. So what Mike is getting at here is what's going to stop Alabama from putting some wrinkles into their offense this week to attack us the way that Georgia Tech did? And my answer to that would be time and personnel. Let's take time first. They have one week to prepare for us. There's a lot that they have to do. They have to actually scout us out, and they have to show the players what we do. The players have to watch the tape. They have to run through all the things that we do. They have to rep their core plays that they use and how they're going to use those against us. And you have really, like, two, maybe three days of practice to do that. Like, Tuesday's your real day of practice. Monday, you're still watching a lot of tape. You go on the field and do a little bit. Wednesday, you'll do some walkthrough stuff, maybe a little bit on the field. You're not going to do all that much at this point in the season, especially with how everyone's banged up. So there's just not really a ton of time to put in a lot of wrinkles. Now, you could put in wrinkles. I'm not going to sit here and say you can't. Team to do that on a week-to-week basis. Yes, wrinkles you can do. But we're talking about minor things. You're not going to have an overhaul of your offense. And going from what Alabama does to doing what Tech does, that's going to require more of an overhaul. And it's not just like saying, hey guys, here's the play. Here's how we're going to run it. You have to rep it enough to get to the point where you feel comfortable enough in your team running it out there on the field in the biggest game of the season without screwing it up. And that's where time becomes more of a factor because the more time you spend doing that, you're taking time away from doing something else. Does that mean you're taking time away from watching film and having the guys see what the Georgia defense does? Does that mean you're taking time away from repping the other parts of what you're going to run on Saturday? But wrinkles are not the question. You have time to do things like that. Like, And what I mean by a wrinkle, you could say, okay, you know, this week, Jalen, we're going to let you actually read the backside defensive end on the zone read. We haven't been letting you recently, but we're going to let you this week because we see Georgia has trouble when they're put in conflict like that. Maybe they can do something like that. That's reasonable. Could they work in one or two new plays? Sure, that's fair. That could, they could certainly make that happen. But you're not going to see a wholesale change into where they're going to be able to attack us the way that Georgia Tech did. I do expect them to lean on some of their edge runs. I expect to see a lot of outside zone, maybe some toss type stuff. 
some jet sweeps. This guy, Kendrick Law, who kind of plays an H-back slot receiver, kind of a jack-of-all-trades, kind of the way that Dylan Bell is for us. He's become more of a factor in their offense, and I expect to see him get the football on some jet sweeps and try to get him in space and get him on the edge. So I think they'll do some things like that, but they're not going to start running exactly what Georgia Tech does or really anything all that similar to what Georgia Tech does because that would just take too much time and they don't have the time to do that. Now, the other part is personnel, right? The personnel with Jalen Miller, yes, you could, he's a mobile guy. So yeah, you would feasibly be able to do the things with him that Georgia Tech did with Haynes King. But Jalen Milrow, guys, if you paid attention and watched him all year, he has had a lot of trouble mastering what they do on offense. There's been a lot of talk all season when you watch their games on these broadcasts about how Alabama is continuing to try to find ways to simplify the offense for this guy. And I just don't know how reasonable it is to expect this guy that they've had to simplify the offense for all year to get to where he's playing fast and he's he's comfortable with the plays that they have in their playbook that week, how reasonable is it to expect him to be able to do all these new things in one week? Based off what we know about him to this point, I don't think it's all that reasonable. And I don't think it's all that likely. It's certainly not impossible. And again, yes, they will throw some wrinkles ass, and I imagine that they will attack the edge because they'd be dumb not to, but I don't think they're going to do it again like Tech was able to do it. Okay, next up, Alex has a question. Alex uh, is a long time listener. I don't think we've heard from you in a minute, Alex, so I appreciate you, man. Glad to have you back on here. But Alex asks, last drive of the game in the SEC Championship, would you rather have our offense on the field needing to score a touchdown or our defense on the field needing to prevent one? Great question, Alex. And given how Kirby Smart has built this Georgia program and how we won our first two national championships under Kirby, especially the 2021 national title, that first one in 41 years, you would typically just say automatically, almost reflexively, oh, the Georgia defense, right? Because that's kind of been our trademark, more or less, our defining feature as a program. But this year, I think it's different. And last year, to a degree, I think it was different as well. This year, our defense is still really good. It's still one of the best defenses in the country, one of the 10 best defenses in the country, but it's not unequivocally the best defense or the second or third best defense in the country. It's not that type of defense because we don't have the guys on the interior defensive line that we've had in years past. That's been the major difference. Our offense, on the other hand, has been one of the three to five best offenses in the country really since the early part of the season, especially when we are healthy. So if we have most or all of our guys out there on Saturday, if we have Brock, we have Lab, we have all those guys out there, I would... Honestly, with this team, I would rather have the offense out there needing to go put a touchdown up on the board to win the football game. Our offense has been more efficient. Our offense has been better in the red zone once we get down there. Our defense, man, if the team gets in the red zone, we are probably not stopping you from scoring a touchdown. At least that's how it's been most of the year. Now, getting to the red zone is a tougher deal on us. We're still one of the best teams in the country and keeping teams out of the red zone. When you get there... Looks like teams are probably scoring a touchdown. And look, guys, I still have faith in our defense. If our defense needs to get a stop late in the game against this Alabama offense, I think that we can do it. I feel confident in them. But right now, I feel more confident in our offense. With the way Carson Beck is playing, if we have Brock Bowers at our disposal, if we have Vlad McConkie, the way Dylan Bell is playing, the way that we're running the football, Kendall Milton, the way he's running, Dominic Lovett obviously able to be an explosive threat for us. With the offensive line that we have and their ability to protect Carson really better than any offensive line in the country, give him time when we need it. I would trust our offense a little bit more right now. We've seen it in the Auburn game, right? Week five. We need it from the offense. Yeah, the defense got some stops too, but the offense put together those drives in crunch time when we needed it. Think Missouri. You know, Missouri was a good football team. They challenged us, but our offense was able to score enough points 
when we needed it to win that football game. Our defense got stops too, yes, but they also moved the ball later in, in that game on us more than I would like to have seen them do. So if it came down to it, came down to crunch time, yeah, this season with this team, give me the offense. All right, we've got one more question looking back to the Georgia Tech game that is full steam ahead, looking forward to the SEC Championship game. Jason asks, outside of defense looking sleepy and the referees being horrendous, Buster Faulkner and company definitely gave us a black eye. Do you think this Georgia Tech team brought back the intensity of the rivalry, and can we expect these kinds of games in the future, especially with Key and Buster at the helm? Another great question. I do, Jason, think there is some truth to that. Brent Key might not be an elite coach, but he has a very high floor at Tech, in my opinion. He knows how to build a program. He's been around guys who know how to do it. He spent time at Alabama with Nick Saban. He knows Kirby Smart. He's been around some really good coaches. He knows how to do that. And I also think being an alumnus of Tech, that matters. I think it matters for Kirby. I think it matters in recruiting. I think it matters in, in the intensity and the credibility that you bring to your program and the players when you say, okay, this game matters. But the reality is Brent Key is just a far more competent coach than old Geoff Collins was. And like I told you guys last week, coming into that Tech game, they are trying to build that team in our image. They want to be like us. They want to be a tough physical team that plays good hard-nosed defense and can be explosive on offense and runs the football, can hit play action shots down the field. That's what they want to be. That's why they went out and hired Buster Faulkner. That's what Brent Key knows. He's a hard-nosed kind of guy. He, again, worked at Alabama. That's what they want to be. They just want the players to do that right now. Now, will they ever get those players? I don't think they'll be able to get access to the kind of players that they're going to need to consistently compete against us and actually beat us. But I do think they're going to make those games more competitive. You saw that back in 2022. You know, that game last year in Athens was a close game at half. We were up 10-7 at half, guys. Yeah, we pulled away and we outscored them like 27-7 in the second half. But it was 10-7 and a half. It was tough going. They came out and threw some punches at us. And they did the same thing this year. They are going to be more competitive because they have a more competent head coach who's hired a better staff. I think Jeff Collins did a lot of talking when it came to recruiting. I think Brent Key is going to do a better job of actually going out and recruiting and using the transfer portal. Now, the caveat in all this is I don't know how long Buster Faulkner is for that job in Atlanta. That guy, I believe, is going to be a hot commodity. Why would he not be? I mean, that guy is a star in the making. Absolutely, he's going to be a hot commodity. I think he's going to be able to parlay his success this year at Tech into a big-time job. I mean, they had one of the, the biggest turnarounds offensively in all of college football this year, and he is the main reason. Yeah, they brought in some guys in the transfer portal, but Buster Faulkner was the driving force behind that and what he's able to do calling plays and designing an offense. So I think he's going to be a hot commodity and can maybe get a better job. I think the question is going to become, how important is it to stay close to family? He's a you know Parkview High School guy, Gwinnett County guy, you know Metro Atlanta area, that kind of thing. I don't know for sure. I think he still has family in the area. So how important is that to him? Uh, now, if the team throws a lot of money at him, it's gonna be hard to turn that down, especially if you're trying to get to the uh, head coaching position, which I'm sure Buster is at some point in his career. I think he has that in him. So I don't know how long he will be in Atlanta, but if they can keep that combo together. Yeah. They're going to they're going to challenge us. They're going to be a, a thornier team in our side than they have been in a, in a while for sure. 
Okay guys, this is a great spot to fit in our last break because from here on out, we're looking forward to the SEC Championship game. We've got a couple questions about that. So I want to remind you guys real quickly about our friends at Alumni Hall. I hope you guys got in on all the action this weekend with all their promo deals for Black Friday, for Cyber Monday. They had some great stuff going on and I hope you were able to get all your loved ones some Georgia stuff, maybe even yourself a little something. But if not, it's okay. It's not too late. All that stuff is still there. You might not have the Cyber Monday deals, the Black Friday deals right now, but if you keep watching, guys, you watch closely enough and you sign up for an account at alumnihall.com, give them your email, they're going to send you any flash sales that they have, and they'll probably have some. They usually do between now and Christmas. So keep checking and get that George gear, guys. There's no better place to find whatever it is you're looking for with a G on it, with whatever Georgia logo you want to find. They've got all the best brands, the best styles. They've got clothing gear. They've got home and auto decor. They've got home and office decor. I also want to point out, they have some great stocking stuffer option, guys. I was just in there a couple of days ago. And I was thinking, oh, okay, I need some stocking stuffers. Oh, dude, like this would be great. That would be great. This would be great. A ton of great stocking stuffers for your kids, family members, loved ones, whoever. A lot of great stuff in there. So check out Alumni Hall today, whether it's in store here in the Class City inside the Epsbury Shopping Center or online at alumnihall.com because Alumni Hall is where the Bulldog shop. All right, guys, the rest of the way, we are looking forward to the SEC Championship game. And our next question comes from Ben. Now, this is somewhat kind of a little bit looking back to Tech, but it's more so forward-looking. So Ben asks, can anyone we could play moving forward break down our defense like Tech did? And what part did Pop Dumas Johnson not playing in this game affect the game? Great question. So I laid out my thoughts on Alabama and their run game, how they don't really attack attack us the way that Tech did. I don't believe that that's what they do. But who else could do similar things? I think Oregon, if we got in the college playoff, Oregon is the team that would be most well-equipped to do the things that Tech does. Now, Oregon still doesn't really do it the way that Tech does, but they have a mobile quarterback. They will do some design QB run stuff with them, although they will not do near as many design quarterback runs with Bo Nix as they do with Haynes King at Georgia Tech. But they do like to attack the perimeter. They will run some some, some zone read stuff. They will run some other option principled stuff. They do like to attack the edges, all that kind of stuff. So I think Oregon would probably be the team that we could play in the college playoff that would be best equipped to attack us in some way approaching the way that Tech did it. But even Oregon Oregon is not really exactly built the way that Tech is. At least their run game is not really structured and built that way. Washington doesn't even really run the football at all. They're running the football more later in the season with Dylan Johnson, but still they don't run the football that much. It's a pass-happy offense. Michigan runs the football a lot, but that's more so the style of running game that we are traditionally accustomed to trying to stop and doing a really good job of stopping, just kind of trying to pound the ball at you, heavy sets, tight ends on the field, all that kind of stuff. Florida State is a heavy outside zone team. That's one to watch, you know, just like Missouri is an outside zone base run team. That's what they do. That's what Florida State does. That's their base run play. They run outside zone, outside zone, outside zone. Trey Benson's a really good runner. So they would attack the edges on us and run a play that get, has given us a lot of trouble. And they run that play extraordinarily well. So that would be something to watch there without Jordan Travis. All of a sudden, you don't have as much of a, really any of a threat from the quarterback position to run the football or to pull anything. So that kind of limits the effectiveness to a degree. But the real answer, there's not a team that does what Georgia Tech does. I think the closest would be Oregon, potentially, if we got in the college playoff and played them. Florida State, with their outside zone being their base run play, would give us some issues as that play is just 
eating us alive all year. I mean, you guys saw what Missouri was able to do. And Florida State runs that play extraordinarily well. I think Trey Benson's a really talented running back. So there's some teams that could give us trouble with the run game, but again, just not the way that Tech did. As to Pop Dumas Johnson being out, I mean, yeah, it definitely hurts. It it hurts in the regard that he's so experienced, right? He's seen a lot more of these things than C.J. Allen has and, and Raylan Wilson has. Certainly, C.J. seen more than Raylan has. Those guys are two, are two true freshmen out there playing 50% plus of our defensive snaps. And when they're playing against an offense like that, that doesn't really align with anything they had seen to that point this season— that's tough for those guys to ask. They haven't seen it this season. They've never seen it before. Pop has seen more things, right? He's been around longer. and He's had more experience trying to defend those types of offenses. Now, he's not the athlete that CJ and Raylan are, but sometimes when it comes to eye discipline, you want the eye discipline more than you want the athleticism. Because if you have poor eyes and your eyes are in the wrong spot, it doesn't matter what kind of athlete you are. You're playing slow, number one. You're playing a step slow because you're not sure of your reads and what's going on. So you're not playing to the level that you should be playing with your athleticism. And if you're in the wrong spot, you can't make the play anyway. So, yeah, I think it did hurt to not have Pop Dumas Johnson in that game, assuming, of course, that Pop would actually play to his experience and use proper eye discipline, which he wasn't always doing early in the season, as we pointed out several times. But you would like to think that he would have a better chance of doing those things. So, yeah, I do think it, it certainly was a factor in that game. Our next question comes from Jamie. Thanks, Jamie. I always appreciate it, buddy. Jamie asks, was the sitting of Ra Ra Thomas, Lab McConkie, Tate Ratledge, and Brock Bowers just resting them for the ACC Championship, or should we be concerned that they aren't healthy enough to play? It's hard to say for certain, but based off what I have heard from people that I trust and based off what I know, and honestly just using my eyes and common sense and also past history with Kirby Smart in some of these situations. I think with Brock and Ladd, it was more precautionary, much more so with Brock. He was, if you're at the game, you saw he was dressed out. I mean, if you saw it on TV, he was dressed out, but he was out there going through warmups. He looked fine to me based off what I saw. I wasn't watching the entire time when I watched him during warmups. He looked fine, looked okay, but he didn't go out there and, and didn't play, right? Because we were trying to be cautious. We knew that he was really sore and according to Kirby, wasn't able to do much during the week. And I, and I had heard people kind of echo those things. So I think that is very true. Uh, Lad is, it's the ankle sprain. He tried to give it a go. Wasn't able to do too much leading into the Tennessee game, but still wanted to give it a go. And like, like we said earlier in the week, Lad not practicing is not an uncommon thing as he's been doing a lot of injuries the past two years, really. Uh, but we have so much faith in him. He's had so many built-in reps that we feel comfortable and confident with him just going out there and playing in games if he can't really rep and practice as long as he's out there going through the mental reps. And so that's what we tried to do with him at Tennessee. He, he went out there for a couple reps early in the game, but it just wasn't really working for him. And so we kind of just shut him down uh, last week and said, you know, we're probably going to need him this game. We'll be okay. We're going to give him time to rest. It's more important he be ready for the SEC Championship game. So I believe that Ladd will be able to play in this game. I don't know that for certain. So don't take that as gospel. I don't know. But the fact that he at least tried to play in the Tennessee game, that is still very encouraging to me. I haven't heard anything this week yet as to whether he's practicing right now. I don't know. I'm going to try to find out and ask some people. I don't know right now. I can't tell you that I do. I don't want to lie to you guys. I don't know. But I do know Ladd McConkie, and I know that dude is one tough SOB, and he is going to do everything in his power to go out there and give it a shot. Now, he might not be 100%, but when has Ladd been 100% in the past year and a half, man? It hadn't been. But even when he's out there, even if it's less than 100%, dude's still a baller. He's still a player, man. He's still going to make plays happen. So I think both Brock and Ladd will give it a go if I had to guess. I think Tate, 
I think Tate's going to have a shot to play. I mean, it wasn't a structural thing with the knee. With MRI, was all clean. It was a bruise. It was a, a deep bone bruise in his knee, which can be very, very painful. So he wasn't able to go. But I'm hoping the swelling goes down and the pain starts to subside and he's able to go this week. Because, again, it's all about – it's a pain tolerance thing at this point. Like, can he actually go out there and put pressure on it without, like, agonizing pain? And I think he has a better chance of doing that this week. So I would I would lean towards Tate being able to play. I just don't know for certain. Even if he can't play, I feel confident out there. We don't have as much depth, but I feel confident with Micah Morris and Dylan Farish. I think they've done a really good job. Also, I mean, of course, you had uh, Xavier Trussell in there and played right guard to open that game. So we have a, we we have some depth there. We just wouldn't have as much depth as, as tackle, I guess. Rara is the one that I think is more up in the air. I'd, I would lean more towards Rara. Probably no with the foot sprain. I think that could be a longer-term injury than what Brock was dealing with. Obviously, Brock had the surgery, and he's still just in the recovery phase and just kind of work out the soreness. And Lad was just um, a, a rolled ankle. It wasn't like a high ankle sprain anything like that, at least as far as we know. That's just what I've been told. So Rawr, the foot sprain, I think he's the one that's probably got the, the, the lesser of a chance to play than any of those other guys. So, yeah, Lad, Brock, I feel pretty good about. Tate, I feel solid-ish about. Rawr, I'm, I'm skeptical that he's going to be able to play in this game. But to be honest, although I love Ra Ra Thomas, I think he's a really good player. He's been a valuable piece for us. I mean, Dylan Bell isn't a slouch. I mean, is there really much of a drop-off, if any drop-off at all, if Dylan Bell is out there playing in place of Ra Ra Thomas? I personally don't think that there is. In fact, in a lot of ways, I might prefer Dylan Bell out there. I think he's more of an explosive playmaker. Now, Lad, we need Lad. Brock, we need Brock out there. We don't have replacements for those guys. They are true bona fide difference makers and we need them in a game of this magnitude that trying to get us in the college football playoffs so yeah hopefully they'll be able to play all right next up a couple more here we got a question from paul great question here who do you want us to spy Jalen Milrow with, and how would you try to negate his running ability? Yeah, great question. Of course, this is one of the, the questions of the week, right? Uh, spying Jalen Milrow, of course, we're going to be doing some spying of Jalen Milrow. Who you do that spying with is the question. On standard downs, I would prefer Smile Munden. I think he's the better athlete of all those guys that we have out there at inside linebacker. But with Milrow, I also think you need to switch up the looks. He's a guy that struggles with reads at times because he's just an experienced quarterback. I'm not saying he's a dumb guy or anything like that. He's just an inexperienced quarterback and he just struggles with reads at times. His own coaching staff has essentially admitted as much. So I would switch up the looks. Yes, I would use smile as much as I could on standard downs, but occasionally you might want to use a safety. Maybe you want to bring Jalen Walker in more on standard downs and use a guy like that to get his athleticism on the field. I'll tell you who I don't want doing it. I don't want anyone who's classified as a defensive lineman to be doing that. Certainly none of our interior guys. I don't even want a guy like Michael Williams or Tyrion Ingram Dawkins doing that. That's not what those guys do. They're good athletes for the five tech. But they're not the kind of athletes that are going to keep up with Jalen Milrow in space. So let's not do that. But I think you have to switch up the looks on him. Keep the guy guessing. Keep him thinking. Keep him playing a little bit slower. Because I think just like with our inside linebackers, having to think when we play a team like Georgia Tech, who's doing some different things that we're not familiar with, if you switch things up on Milrow, you make him think a little bit more. Have to process things. That might slow down his game ever so slightly. Maybe just enough for you to be able to contain him. But if and when we can get them to third and long situations and we bring our dime package on the field and we do have Jalen Walker on the field and we get those other athletes on the field, I would love to see Jalen Walker be that guy. And that's really where we can switch it up a lot more. It's harder to switch it up on standard downs because you don't have the number of athletes that can play in space comfortably out there on the field that you do when we are, we are in our dime package. So when we're in our dime package, 
You might have Jalen Walker on the field and Smile Munden on the field. Uh, maybe you have a guy like Damon Wilson on the field. You can feel like you can at least kind of put him on there to a degree. Or maybe you want to bring an extra defensive back into the game in our dying package, which we haven't really done as much this year. Traditionally, that's what we have done. We haven't done it as much this year. But maybe you do more of that in this game. Maybe you bring Dan Jackson onto the field. And I'm not saying spy Milrow with Dan, but bringing Dan onto the field will allow you to use your other defensive backs, guys like Javon Bullard and Malachi Starks in those roles maybe a little bit more freely. And Malachi is maybe the best athlete on the entire defense. I mean, I knew he was fast. I remember him catching Cody Schrader from behind against Missouri last year and saving that game for us. But he opened my eyes even more last week against Georgia Tech when he chased down 10 200-meter Eric Singleton from behind and caught that dude. That man can freaking fly. So, yeah, I feel comfortable with that if we can structure our defense in a way to allow Malachi to be able to do that in certain situations. But yeah, definitely smile more so in the standard down situations and those downs and distances. Third down, Jalen Walker, I feel comfortable with. Maybe even Damon Wilson if he's out there at times. Certainly smile still in those situations. Malachi, Javon, if we can get the matchups that we like there based on how we're structuring our, our dime package with our game plan this week against Alabama. But it's got to be an athlete. It's got to be somebody with speed and it's got to be somebody that can also tackle. That's the other part of it. Like You can have a spy on him, but if you can't stay with them, you can't, it doesn't matter. And if you can't tackle him, you can stay with him. It doesn't matter. So we've got to have somebody that we feel confident can tackle the guy in space, corral him, and also stay with him. And then the second part of that question, how do you try to negate Milrow's running ability? Well, that's one of those things that's much easier said than done. I don't know if you can completely negate it, but you can contain it, right? That's what we're trying to go for. We're trying to contain it as much as possible and limit it as much as possible. And I think clearly the way to do that, traditionally we have usually done a good job with this, with a few exceptions, you've got to use the mush rush, right? The controlled pass rush where you are not wildly and recklessly rushing upfield because when you do that, for, especially from the edges, you create the natural running lanes that allow Milrow to escape the pocket and then gash you with his scrambling ability. That cannot be allowed to happen. You have to play with discipline. Stay in your lane, leverage him, play with the proper leverage, maintain the proper leverage, keep your shoulders, your outside shoulders, free if you're an edge player do not duck inside and basically squeeze the guy in the pocket now does that mean you're giving up some of the pass rush yes you're not probably gonna get as many sacks doing that but what you're doing you're gaining the ability to keep him in the pocket which is going to limit his effectiveness the way you beat Alabama as I'm gonna get to the next question the way you stop their offense, in my opinion, is you make Milrow a drop-back passer. You force them to beat you with Milrow as a drop-back passer. I don't think they can do that consistently enough against a defense of our caliber. And the surest way to do that is when you rush the passer, you do it in a way that it's controlled to keep him in the pocket. Now, continue to try to pressure him, push the pocket, yes, but do it in a controlled manner, a disciplined manner. Because again, I know they will do some design run stuff with him. They will. I'm not suggesting they won't. They will, but he's far more of a threat when he scrambles. That's where he becomes the most dangerous version of himself is when he's on the move, scrambling, improvising, creating. Not only in those situations does he create for himself and he can move the chains with his own legs, when he escapes the pocket like that and can extend plays, they do a really good job, the receiver unit does, a really good job 
of the scramble drill. They just get open. It's like backyard football, and that's when they hit a lot of their explosive plays in the passing game. They do hit explosive plays in the passing game, but a lot of it comes when Milrose is able to escape the pocket, and it's just backyard football. So how do you stop that from happening? You keep the guy in the pocket. And how do you do that? A controlled, disciplined mush rush. That's what you do. It ain't sexy, but it's effective. All right, guys, a couple more questions here. The next one comes from D.A. Cooper. Appreciate it, man. Uh, and D.A. Cooper asks, I'm sure you will get to this one, but what is the key to stopping Jalen Milrow? And it is more or less, in my opinion, what I just kind of went over there. It's making him a dropback passer. You've got to make him beat you as a dropback passer. What is the goal of every defense? You have to make the offense play left-handed. Make them beat you doing what they are least comfortable doing. You cannot let them play their game. You cannot let them beat you doing what they do best. So what is making Alabama play left-handed look like? What does that mean? It means, again, making Jalen Milrow beat you as a drop-back passer. That's what you have to turn that guy into. We will talk more about this on the preview episode, but that's that's the key to it because he is not proficient enough on a down-to-down basis doing the things that quarterbacks generally have to do in order to put up together enough drives where he's going to grind it out and, and score enough points to beat us. I do not think that he will be able to do that. Now, maybe he'll make me my words. It's certainly possible. He's a talented guy, maybe. But I have not seen that guy do that yet at this point in the season, especially against a defense, again, of our caliber. Where they kill you, where he can kill you, is with the explosive plays. And they generally create those off of blown coverage by the defense and his ability to scramble and extend plays and just do the scramble drill backyard football. So don't blow assignments in the back end. And don't let him escape the pocket and, and improvise because if you don't blow coverages and leave receivers running wide open and you don't allow him to improvise and, and play backyard football, they're going to have a harder time generate, generating those explosive plays. Again, I just don't believe he's going to be able to string together enough consistent, long, grind-out drives to score enough points to beat us. And the next question, we've got two more here. Next question comes from Calvin. Thanks, Calvin. Calvin asks, do we need to plan for Bama's backup quarterback like we did in the last two SEC championship matchups? You know, uh, this might be a tongue-in-cheek type question. I'm not sure, but it's actually a fair question because, yes, I just wrote an article on Dogs Daily about this, talking about how the roles have been reversed and how to kind of recount how things went down the first couple of matchups against Georgia and Alabama in the SEC championship game, and that was painful to do. But, yes, two different times, two different quarterbacks came off the bench to beat us in the postseason. One in the national championship game, one in the 2018 SEC championship game. We know first it was Tua Tungavailoa, and then in the 18 championship game, it was Jalen Hurts, who was coming in in place of Tungavailoa, who got injured in that game. So yeah, we've seen it, and we've got burned by it twice. Now, I will say that you have to be prepared for all contingencies, yes. However, the situation is a little different this year. I do not believe that Ty Simpson, who is going to be backing up Jalen Milrow, is going to be a first-round draft pick. I do not think that he's a first-round talent. So if for some reason he did have to come into the game, I don't think he would be as effective against us as Jalen Hurts and Tua Tungavailoa were. I think that's safe to say. I know that's not breaking news. But at the very least, he is a different style quarterback than Jalen Milrow is. So you do have to be prepared. You can't spend much time on it during the week because you have to focus on the primary player. The guy that, if everything goes as planned for Alabama, will play the entire game at quarterback. But it would probably be wise, given our history against Alabama, to at least give a short amount of time this week to taking a look at, at Ty Simpson and what this guy does if he does indeed have to maybe play at some point in this game. And finally today, we have a question from Justin, who is a longtime listener. Always appreciate you, my man. 
And Justin has a question that isn't directly related to the University of Georgia or this SEC championship game or the game against Georgia Tech. So I say this one for last, but I think it's a good question. I think it's worth talking about, and I figure some of you guys might have a similar type question. And so Justin asked, is there any chance we could get your brief thoughts on how the college football coaching carousel has turned out so far, specifically with the Texas A&M chaos? Yeah, man, Texas A&M, really weird situation. You know, when they fired Jimbo Fisher, they paid northwards near $150 million or so to buy out all those different contracts. I always felt it would probably end up being a little bit of a gut punch to the A&M fan base with whoever they end up landing because the chances were they weren't going to be able to attract a big name coach because the bigger name coaches would probably want a contract more akin to what Jimbo got. They would say, well, why, if Jimbo got that, why can't I get that? If they were going to get that, I thought they probably wouldn't leave. So I figured they'd have to get somebody that was maybe a, a second tier kind of guy. And that's ultimately what they ended up getting. Now, the whole thing that went down with Mark Stoops and Mike Elko is, is weird, man, because Mark Stoops, I have a lot of respect for. I think he's a really good football coach. I know that, you know, they don't win 10 games on a regular basis, but what he has done at Kentucky, bringing that consistency to that program that was starred for, they, I mean, it's consistent success, not success on the level of University of Georgia, but certainly success for Kentucky. And you can throw in a 10-win season here or there. Yeah, that's doing something Kentucky when you can keep it at that level on a consistent basis. That's exactly what he has done. And to see the way the Texas A&M fan base just completely rebelled when that news was leaked late Saturday night, it reminded me a lot of Tennessee when news was leaked about Greg Schiano potentially being that higher and how they rebelled. And obviously, that was a little bit of a different scenario because they could scream about the, the Penn State stuff and, and child abuse and all that kind of stuff. And that's what they did. But they, it wasn't that Tennessee, Tennessee really cared about that. It was that Tennessee didn't want Greg Schiano to be their next coach. And so they used that as a shield, as their, as their blunt object, more or less, to get Schiano out of the picture. But in some ways, there's some similarities with what's going on or what went on at Texas A&M because those fans basically rebelled. And from my understanding, what it sounds like from all these reports is that either A, Mark Stoops decided, I don't want to deal with this and I'm backing out, or B, the, the brass at Texas A&M said, hey man, look, I'm, I'm really sorry about this, but we're not going to be able to go with you. The fans just aren't going to be able to take it. They can't accept this and we don't want to deal with, with the blowback. So well, however that went down, it looks like there, it was going to be Mark Stoops and then all of a sudden it wasn't Mark Stoops because the fans at A&M were not happy with that. And then for them to go hire Mike Elko and now the A&M fans are all excited about that because as I hear all these A&M fans say and how they're defending the hire is that this is somebody that took over a program that's not a consistent winner. It's kind of an afterthought in their conference and brought them a measure of consistent success, not high-level success, but consistent success for a couple of years and did it at a basketball school where they don't commit a ton of resources to football. And so I'm sitting here saying, okay, yeah, all those things you're saying about Mike Elko are correct. You're not wrong in saying that. But basically what you're doing is you're describing the ACC version of Mark Stoops. He's done the exact same thing at Kentucky and done it for a longer period of time. It's like that Spider-Man meme, right? Where it's the same Spider-Man pointing at each other like you, 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 me, you. That's exactly what it is. Mike Elko and Mark Stoops, two defensive guys. If you want a defensive guy, they're both defensive guys. They both brought consistent success to afterthought schools in a Power 5 conference that were basketball schools. So why are you happy with Mike Elko and not Mark Stoops? That defies logic. It's irrational. It's nonsensical. 
But that's college football, baby. It is irrational. It is nonsensical. None of it makes any sense. It is certainly rationalization at its finest. They realize, oh, this is the kind of guy that we're going to get. So I guess we have to put on a happy face and go out there and, and smile and, and, and pretend that we love it. And I guess the only big difference is that Mike Elko did spend a couple of years at AM under Jimbo Fisher as their defensive coordinator. So there is a level of familiarity there, but that's really the only difference. And that's the difference between you freaking out over Mark Stoops and being just thrilled over the moon about Mike Elko. Just weird, man. Just weird. I mean, I think Elko will probably do a good job there. I think he is a like a real football coach and depends on the guys that he hires and brings over with him. But I think he'll probably do a, a solid job there. But I think Mark Stoops would have done a very similar job, if you ask me. And then the latest news, obviously, today it broke. I mean, we started hearing some of this last night. Broke today that our defensive backs coach, Fran Brown, is going to be the next head coach at Syracuse. Has a lot of ties to the Northeast. Been a, a big-time recruiter in that area, in that fertile recruiting ground for a while. It makes a lot of sense for Syracuse. I think it's actually a really good hire for them. I hate to see him go. That sucks because he's been a great weapon for us on the recruiting trail, specifically when it comes to that Northeast region. But we'll be okay this is what happens when you have a lot of success as a program. Your position coaches are going to get promotions. They're going to get poached, and they're going to be given promotions at different schools. Assistant coaches will go to coordinators. Coordinators will go to head coaches. Sometimes, in this case, like Fran Brown, assistant coaches would make the jump to head coach. It happens. I'm happy for the guy. He's done a great job for us, been a great asset for us, and I think he'll do a really good job at Syracuse. That's actually a really strong hire for them. Again, we'll be fine. We are a, a fantastic program right now, the preeminent program in all of America, and it was a very attractive opening, and I'm I'm sure, I'm confident that we will have a lot of people, a lot of very qualified people knocking down the doors to get that job, a guy to watch out for. Um, Doug Belk is a guy that I know is uh, has some relationships with our with our program and has been around our program a little bit. He was the Demons coordinator at Houston, obviously, with um, Daner Holgerson getting fired. I, I I haven't looked at it specifically, but I, I would assume Doug Belk also, the whole staff, got fired as well. So that one would make a lot of sense. Corey Raymond, the guy who just got let go as Florida's DB coach, that one I know it seems weird because you're like, wait, do we want to take a coach that just got fired from Florida? Like, think about the look there, the optics of that one. But Corey Raymond might not have worked out at Florida, but he was at LSU for about a decade or so and was just an awesome recruiter for them. He's a big-time recruiter, um, maybe not a great secondary coach. I don't know it, but I think it's worth at least like looking at. He wouldn't be my top option, but I also wouldn't be like devastated necessarily if he was a guy, but, but worth kind of spin the tires on, I guess. But if you look at what Kirby's MO has been in hiring assistant coaches, in a lot of cases, it's it's typically guys that someone on the staff knows or has a relationship with or has worked with. And I know a couple of our guys on our staff have a relationship with Doug Belk, so he'd be a guy to watch. I've heard his name mentioned, and that makes a lot of sense. So that'd be one to watch on the top of my head here. But other than that, we'll just have to play it by ear and kind of see what happens. I'm sure there'll be some names emerge here uh, over the next couple of weeks, maybe a couple of days. We'll see. Uh, but I, from what I understand, it sounds like last I heard, now again, this is early today, but last I heard that it seems like Fran Brown's going to at least stay on through the SEC Championship game, so like this weekend. And then I'm sure he'll go and um, start doing the, the coaching stuff and getting that Syracuse program together after that, which is okay. He's not a coordinator. He's a position coach, and we have plenty of analysts on staff, and we got Muschamp, and Kirby's a DB guy too, so we'll be okay there. And then the one that I saw most recently, as I'm like actually sitting here right now, Bobby freaking Petrino back to Arkansas. Oh my God. Man, what a move. I mean, after the whole like motorcycle scandal and the press conference with the neck brace and all the bruises and cuts and abrasions all over his face, the swelling, 
That is wild that he's going back to Arkansas. Uh, honestly, if he does anything less than come out for his introductory press conference with the neck brace and like in full makeup with like the cuts and bruises and all that stuff on his face, uh, I'm going to riot, man. I'm gonna, we got to see that. that. You have to do that, man. Come on. But I think it's a good hire. by Petrino, I know it didn't work out at AM, but there were a lot more issues at AM. Jimbo still has fingerprints on that. And how much control did Petrino have? I don't really know. But the guy knows football. He knows offensive football. And he's done a good job pretty much everywhere he's been in turning offenses around and putting together pretty prolific offenses. So I think he'll do a good job there. So fairly good move, although just a wild move. Weird, weird move there. Houston, we don't know yet. Wouldn't surprise me to see old Deion Sanders make a move for Houston. We'll see if the good Lord calls him to do it, as he likes to say. But yeah, anyway, there are some quick thoughts on some of the moves in the coaching carousel right now. Obviously, we'll be watching that for the next couple of weeks and see how all of that plays out. But all right, guys, that's all I got for today. I got to get out of here. Got a family dinner I've got to go to or a family dinner I get to attend, I should say. We got to frame our perspectives a little bit differently, right? But I appreciate you guys. Thank you so much for all the questions. I got through as many of them as I possibly can. If I did not get to yours, I apologize, man. I really tried to try to get to as many as I possibly could. But I will be back tomorrow and we'll be talking, obviously, a lot more in detail about the Alabama Crimson Tide and the matchup in the SEC Championship game with our official deep dive game preview. I'm ready for this one, guys. I've been working hard on it for you, and I'll have that for you tomorrow. And then Charlie and I, yes, we will be back. I know it's not a normal college football Saturday, but there are games. It is Championship Saturday, after all. And we will be back with our Championship Week Picks of the Week. So we'll have those for you guys as well to wrap up the week. But thanks, guys. Always appreciate you. I'm Tyler, and as always... Go dogs!